Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Litchfield special edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. Alan, what is Litchfield and why are we talking about it? Tell us more. Start with an easy one, why don't you? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Litchfield, comprised of Litchfield Performance, Litchfield Imports, lots of other stuff under the name of Litchfield, who specialise in importing and tuning cars and lots of other stuff as well. The first thing you need to know about Litchfield, though, is that they're not actually in Litchfield, which was my first mistake. I was going to say, did you go to the wrong place? Well, I did, actually, but not that badly. <laughs> um, whenever the PR person contacted me and said, you fancy visiting Litchfield? I said, yes, thinking, good, that's about 45 minutes along the road. Nice, easy one. Turns out they're actually based near Tewkesbury, <laughs> which is on the Worcestershire-Gloucestershire border. Um, that's an incredibly British thing to do. <laughs> It is. Well, the reason is that the founder is, is Ian Litchfield. Uh-huh. We'll hear a little bit more from, from him in a, in a wee while. Okay, doke. So what was the format of the day then? So the format was that I got a bit of a tour of the place mm-hmm. and through their many interlocking sheds of modularity uh, and got a bit of a... You're laughing, aren't you? But it's true. Got a bit of a feel for the place. So saw... I mean, just... I don't want to give too much away now because we do talk about it. Oh, I do talk about it with Ian. To give you an idea of what they're like, something like a, a quarter of all the Nissan GTRs in the country will generally be at or around their their place at any one time. There are, yes, there are quite a few. They do that. They specialize in, in tuning those and other vehicles as well. So have they got the patent on that particularly large exhaust then? <laughs> Uh, well, it tends to be four particularly large exhausts. Uh, they reckon to be about the first people who could reliably deliver about a thousand horsepower from Nissan GTR. Before that, they did a whole lot of stuff with Subarus. They can do, and the thing is, because they're, they're engineer led, then they they do so much on site. Okay, so there are twelve ramps, I think, twelve, sixteen ramps, something like that. Uh, there, all of which were packed with everything from a three grand. Alpha, you know, the front wheel drive ones based on the TPO platform, mm-hmm. uh, to right the way up to, you know, many hundreds of horsepowers worth of, of Litchfield cars. Uh, they've got their own rolling road for doing tuning. There was a Ford Focus RS in when I was I was there. And they've got a huge parts store. I mean, in, in brake parts alone, there was there was the worth of my house anyway, in sort of sizable, sizable discs and pads and everything. There's not many places that has a whole rack of, of anti-roll bars, you know, just, just sitting there and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they've got uh, their own fabrication shop so that they can prototype and make one-offs of things. Welding, fab, uh, machine shop as well. They've got a car storage shed. which Facility? Um, shed. Okay. <laughs> With nice spotlights. Uh, which would put many motor museums to to shame, uh, and they've got a paint shop as well. But we'll we'll talk in a bit more detail about all of those. But that's just what they've got on site, and they do lots of vehicle transport and deliveries and collections and everything because some of their customers are the kind of people who, who don't really have time to drive to Tewkesbury and back. Mm-hmm. So yes, lots and lots of stuff. And then I had a bit of a chat with Ian Litchfield, okay, a bit of a natter with him. We'll go into that next. Uh, and then I went and I had a drive. We'll talk about that and just generally how awesome that is in a little while. In case any of you are disappointed 
with me not taking out a, a ridiculous horsepower Nissan GTR. I just wouldn't really be particularly happy doing that. It's too many horsepower, roads don't know, slightly damp day, nobody nobody around to be to be passenger. If, if it had been on the track, it would have been different, but uh, but not on the public roads. You're showing wisdom beyond your years, Alan. Yes, that and a distinct a distinct reluctance to crash the press cars. Yes, quite. <laughs> so would this be a good time to insert Ian's interview with you? I think so. Just a quick note, ended up in the car storage shed of wonderment. The trouble with the car storage shed of wonderment is that whilst it has lovely spotlighting, and whilst there was a car cover over the bits of, uh, I think it was Le Mans spec, GTR race car, uh, that we had rested the micro- the microphone and the, the recorder on. There wasn't a lot in the way of soft furnishings to dampen the sound. Uh, and then the other <laughs> side of the door, people kept shuffling cars around. And uh, as Ian points out at one point, we don't, don't really do quiet exhausts around here. So, <laughs> so yes, if you, there is a Ferrari F488 being moved around, there are there are GTRs being moved around in the background. So my apologies for those, and hopefully they won't distract from Ian's uh, wit and wisdom. Rule VT, as they say, which doesn't really work in a podcast. So I'm here just outside Tewkesbury with Ian Litchfield from, well, Litchfield. Hello there. Ian, you founded Litchfield. Mm -hmm. I just have this image of cathedrals and and towns in the Midlands now that (laughs) I probably shouldn't have. Uh, But you founded Litchfield and... When I first heard of the company, it was, gee, what, 15 years ago or so? Probably longer. And it was still very much focused purely on imports. But it's a bit different now. What kind of stuff? Um, Well, it's evolved over the years. It certainly started as just imports. Um, That's how we started doing cars. And then it's evolved into uh, servicing, sales, kind of everything to do with sports cars, basically. How did you start out? Because it was... We started with Subarus, and it started off with Japanese imports, just as the grey import era was really yeah, launching, just before. Didn't it? I've been car mad from the earliest age. That was the only thing I would ever read was car magazines or brochures for cars. And then when I was doing my A levels, we had to do a, uh, a business course where you had to present a, a business idea to a bank manager. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of what to do. My father said, well, just do it on something you enjoy, and I couldn't find. And then I'd read an article in Performance Car Magazine which was about uh, what they call the Monster Miata, which was a, a V8-powered MX-5 they build in America. All right, so um, that's the one with the LS1 engine? Yes, yeah, yeah that's right. So this was about 90, 95, 96, something like that. And, yeah, and, and so it had, a, it had a sidebar on it which had the pricing. And so it had all the price of the conversion, but it also has, had, the cost of the, uh, had the cost of the car. And so that was... Um, that's what started it. We, I thought, well, the car was much cheaper in America. So I did this case study on how I would buy a car in America and I'd ship it over and I'd sell it here for, for a profit mm-hmm. and uh, end up getting good marks in the, um, in the test. And the bank managers effectively approved it as part of this, this coursework. And um, so I thought, well, I'll go back and see if they'll actually lend me the money to, um, to do it like a week later. And they just laughed. So... Um, but speaking to my dad, he said, so we'll go back and we'll ask them again and maybe for a car loan. And so with some persuasion, we managed to get them to lend me some money uh, to buy a car, but we just didn't tell them we were buying a car from the US. And the internet just started at this point, and we were able to track down an MX-5 uh, 
in New York yeah. and, and shipped it over. But that was the sort of start of the the whole process. But it was a disaster from start to finish, basically. The first one, it was a it was a white left-hand drive automatic MX-5, of which right. nobody really wants an automatic left-hand drive MX-5. Not having having owned MX-5s. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. So it took some time to sell, and I made a loss of about £1,000 or £1,200, which to me at the time was just catastrophic i thought my world had ended and uh, but because i used to badger the um shipping guy kind of every week to find out how the car was getting on on the way on its journey over uh-huh. we got to know them quite well and, and he would explain that his cousin worked shipping cars from japan to new zealand but it was a big market and i hadn't realized they were right hand drive in japan so i had just enough money left to be able to buy one from japan and then uh, shipped it back to the UK but managed to sell it before I even got to the UK and then some friends asked me to get one and someone else we know and it sort of snowballed um, but what really kick-started it was the um, was when the Subarus were struggling to get them through the import quota and we could bring them in as personal imports mm-hmm. and you had all of the special STI models which you couldn't get in the UK and we started supplying local Subaru dealers and they would sell them before I'd even got home, and they'd be ringing up for another one. Um, and um, that that kind of paid our way through university. Then we came to Cheltenham for uni, and uh, and that kind of paid our way through all the Subaru models. So that's kind of how it started, and it sort of evolved from there, carried on after uni. It's quite a way to raise money when you're at university, really. It was good fun. Yeah, I was I was not the most academically minded, and uh, whereas this was uh, was really good fun. It was it was interesting. You got to travel the world, see amazing places. Um, but the biggest problem I had at the start was that I would always buy something different. So I'd, I'd buy an MX-5 and, and make money on it. Mm-hmm. And then think, well, I'll buy a Honda Prelude next. I haven't fancy one of those. Or I'll buy a Toyota Sora. Rather than just sticking with MX-5s that you get known for, yeah. I would buy something different and effectively start from scratch again. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. I didn't, I really didn't, didn't realise that. So I kind of heard about you then. And then all of a sudden, a few years ago, I was going to, to Rockingham to watch mm-hmm. the racing and stuff, and I keep seeing Nissan GTRs appear. So is that a bit further down the line and after Subarus where you then decided to just get, the, get known? Or yeah, I mean... The, specialise in? Well, we'd, we'd always done the Subarus, and we'd done well from those. We, we had a, a premises the other side of town. We'd done... Um, quite a few kind of auto car car of the years evo car of the years with various different subarus that we built our own models and we've done really well with those um they were kind of um the japanese spec ones so they're much higher spec to begin with and then we would kind of pre-modify them and sell them as our own car and we, we sold quite a few of those and that was that was great but when i was I w- i'd gone over to japan in 2008 or 2007 to see the launch of the new impreza sti the hatchback yeah um, and at the same time at the tokyo show they launched a new gtr well, well I'll order one because it looks interesting and then I got to they had a cutaway model at the show which you got to see all the details and Subaru and Nissan share a lot of the components with the same sort of component factories mm-hmm. so you could see that there was a lot of commonality and I thought well if we can tune these he said this would be quite good was it a case of looking at it and going just looks like a bigger more sophisticated it, it, Subaru well yeah I, I didn't realise how good it would be and that was that was the thing we, and we had a few customers that ordered them at the time and they weren't coming out into the UK for another 18 months so we bought it more because it looked fantastic and it looked interesting but um, we never expected it to turn into the kind of um, the product that it has but then the moment I drove the car I went to pick it up from the docks I was quite looking forward to it and then I drove it and I was just like oh wow this is 
we had quite a few Subaru projects on the go, mm-hmm. um, and I canned all of those. There was no point in, in trying to compete with, with this thing. This thing just rewrote the book completely in terms of performance at the time. But I'd never driven anything anything like it. Everything about it was two or three generations it felt further ahead of mm-hmm. anything else on the market. So we invested in buying all the diagnostic equipment. The recession had just kicked in, so we bought the farm here and, and, and really sort of concentrated on selling some of this, you know, the, the Subaru stuff that we had already through, yeah. um, but concentrating on servicing and looking after the GTR. So um, that's how it kind of grew, and then it's, it's grown beyond whatever I could have imagined really in terms of the stuff we knew now do on the GTR we literally do everything on it because you just even just looking at the car park outside which is how many there must be what 25, 30 there's probably about 35 cars out GTRs yeah. outside at the moment yeah and, and that's just counting the GTRs not the other interesting stuff yeah. that's parked around there's probably another um, well, we've got 17, 18 ramps so there's probably a GTR most of the ramps at the moment having servicing or upgrades have work done on them so yeah, they keep us very busy. We do typically six a day of, of some sort, from a simple service to a tune. You can hear one firing up in the background. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as if on cue. Yes. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just a phenomenal car, and I think it's taken it's taken the industry. Well, they've been out for nearly eleven years now, and it's taken them a, a good sort of nine years, I reckon, to kind of catch up with with the performance it offers. And even then, you're looking at. Porsche Turbo S's and things that can match it for double the price. Yeah. So it's it's a phenomenal bit of kit and just so well made. That's the other impressive thing. And there's quite an owners community around them as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, a huge following. It's it, but it's it's seen and even by Nissan themselves, it's seen as a car that is like a they sell it to you as a blank canvas and then you're supposed to go and do something with it. It's very unusual. We see a standard GTI. It's, it's had something done. To I it. was going to ask about that yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. This is, just how few or how many standard ones there actually are. But it's got. I think it's, it came along at the right time. Um, it's, it's got an unbelievable cult following. And the other nice thing with it, there's no pretension to it as well. So it, it's every road users like it. You sit at the petrol station, people will ask you questions about it. If you drive some of the other cars, the sports cars, maybe they're not quite so um, understanding on the road. You've, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've seen that with some press cars. Mm. Listeners will know that just sometimes there is a persona that gets it, 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 passed on so people or people feel obliged to to let you know what they think of you and and some of your habits mm. I, I agree completely and, and and the thing is with the gtr i think that that playstation sort of generation yeah. you've got the kind of the old playstation generation have done well enough now in life to be able to afford to buy one mm-hmm. and then you have the kids are still playing the playstations with gtrs as the halo products that everyone loves and so when you see it driving down the road it's 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 just a, it's not trying to be anything other than what it is, which is just great fun and crazy fast. And it shows off what it is quite even a standard. It yeah, shows yeah, it does. It, uh, yeah, and um, but there's no frills to it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. None of none of it's on there to look particularly pretty. It's it's quite functional. Yeah, um, and I quite, I quite like that about it. Yes, it's it's there because it does something, not just because yeah, it, someone in marketing said it should be there. In we get we're, we're we're fortunate enough to get to drive all sort of the latest supercars and hypercars and bits and pieces but there's something about the GTR um, it's a proper old dinosaur you know mm-hmm. of a car but it's everyone loves dinosaurs they're, they're brilliant they're just it's just so fast we talked a bit about we mentioned tuning just there mm-hmm. you guys you don't just buy stuff from other people and stick it on you actually develop packages and parts in house as well don't you so you've I mean I've, I've had a quick tour 
and I've seen there's fab shops and <laughs> and and machine shops as well as you know ramps and normal normal garage stuff but full of GTRs. Uh, you do quite a lot of that yourselves and in-house? Yeah, well, we do. We're seeing a lot of the uh, prototyping will be done in-house. We've got a fabrication department, um, engineering shop. But we have a really good relationship. We're very lucky in the UK that we just have the best kind of motorsport engineering places worldwide. And certainly for, for me personally, and for a lot of the guys here, it's, it's our kind of passion is the engineering. It's the fun. We, we do stuff not because it has any real commercial value, but because it's fun to do and it and it's interesting and that's what gets us excited. We've got billet engine blocks for the GTR, but nobody needs a, a billet engine block to yeah, run two thousand horsepower. Yeah, but you people know. buy them though, don't they? they? But they, 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 a few do, a few do. But it's it's not a it's not you'll ne- you know I'll be lucky if in ten years time we've actually got back the investment of doing it. There's no real commercial reason for it. It's just. Um, it's just fun you know we've got an engine dyno um, which is really good to use and, and you know there's, there's lots of stuff we've invested in to allow us to develop new products you know so um, yeah it's what it's what we enjoy doing and like I say we get to work with some amazing companies in the UK as well for development of stuff and that's that's the fun element of it yeah. I would say we're really lucky in the UK that we've got such We've got the best engineers in the world. Yeah, the out, and I think also from us being obviously relatively small, um, you know, if they if they're doing a project for a large company, they could do a an engine design or suspension design, and then it goes off into the ether and it might appear at some point. They have no connection to it, but we can give them instant feedback, and they so they get genuinely excited about mm-hmm. it. So doing things like the engine block was really good fun and they they put a lot of effort into it because and designing it because it, they get to see an instant result you know rather than it just disappearing off somewhere so yeah, yeah it's great i think we're very lucky in the uk you moved on from some of the from just in i was gonna say in, internal tuning parts which sounds wrong so one of the things i was being shown earlier on was your new body shop mm-hmm. next door to where, where we're sitting yeah which seems Having just gone from well, I really like the GTR because there's nothing on them which isn't isn't functional and doesn't yeah. do something. How, how would you explain that one? Well, we've always tried to diversify. We, we just reinvest everything in the business, so we're always looking to diversify. We don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into one thing. Although the GTR is the bulk of our business at the moment, you know, it's not the only cars we work on or specialise in. And likewise, the body shop's a natural extension, you know, for car sales, for prepping. But we do um, paint protection spray now, which is a better version than the PPF wrap. So if customers mm-hmm. buy, we had a, what, what kickstarted was when we did our, we did a model last year, no, two years ago, called the LM20, yeah. to celebrate 20 years in business. And almost every single one of those cars, once was brand new, was then immediately shipped off to another place in the country to be detailed or to have film put on to not always the greatest of success but it but everybody had it done hmm. everybody wanted everybody wanted to buy this special edition yes and then and then, and then I mean, make it the make it well, it, more it, special it, make yeah it all to protect it with just yeah. clear film and um so it, it just started to you know got the idea and then we looked into it did some research and we we discovered the option of doing this paint protection spray and so we can now spray a clear plastic film onto the vehicle to give it an invisible plastic coating to stop stone chips and, and help look after the car. So we're very busy with that. But what it's then led on to is it gives us a base to then do 
complete color changes. So as you might have seen in there, we've got a GT2 RS. It's absolutely stunning. So the, the customer, good customer of ours, couldn't get a brand new one from Porsche. So had to buy on a, quite a lot over the list price and not quite the color he wanted. So he got it in GT silver. But his favorite color was actually a GTR gun metallic gray. We've repainted it in the gun metallic grey and we've changed the gloss carbon to a satin carbon and the whole car looks a bit tougher, I think. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of the film is you can peel it off at any time. It leaves no residue, no marks. And so if you want to put it back to him, just peels it off and it's done. So how it was explained to me is that it's not like spraying on one of the rubberized type paints straight onto the existing paint of the car. It's it's the film that goes on and then... On top of that, you do essentially a normal spray job. Yeah, you put the so, Yeah, you can so, do and that's color. why this is clever and different, and it's mm. not just a wrap. It, it's not, just and it gives you plaster dipping. It looks like it, it paint because it is yeah. paint. It is. It's, it's you can have any color, and that's the biggest challenge is to decide what color you want because you can have anything, um, and then you then put the plastic back over the top again. So you sealed it in, but it's never actually touched the original paintwork. So you can just peel it off again. So it's great, and, and lots of customers love their cars, but they want to freshen them up or couldn't quite get the colour they wanted for some reason. Like, for example, we've got a Carrera T, but we couldn't order that with, in custom colours. So we'll be, we've had to order it in the standardised colours that they offered. So we'll be changing the colour on that just because we can. So, yeah, it gives lots of options. And people like things a bit different. And we've learned that with the tuning, that a lot of the reason people tune the cars is just want something that's theirs, it's bespoke. And that's the same with the bodywork and, and everything else. So it's a natural progression to, to build the body yeah, shape. I absolutely don't fall into that category. <laughs> So where do you think you're going to be going next then? What do you think is coming next for Litchfield? We're doing more and more BMWs, which we've always done. BMWs, I've got a lot of BMWs myself. Um, Porsche, we're getting into in a big way. Um, servicing and upgrades uh, on Porsches. So yeah, we're looking at different options, like the Alpine. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about the Alpine, because that seems that seems kind of left field. Other than the fact that it comes from the same, the same alliance as yeah. the GTR, it seems like completely the opposite type of car we did a track day with one of the bosses of Renault Sport and um, he was driving some of our GTRs and I was talking to him about the Alpine because I've seen obviously in the press and I said how interesting it looks lightweight and he said it was, this was sort of two years 18 months before it came out he said it was brilliant it was mm-hmm. amazing it was super lightweight people are going to be really impressed with it and it wasn't he's not the sort of guy to give you the normal kind of marketing spiel I think this was yeah. a genuine if, he was if, impressed if he hadn't agreed he would have come shaking his head yeah yeah, yeah yeah so so we and then by chance that was in the November and then my wife Jenny and I went to Geneva for the motor show mm. and they had the car there and the chassis and I just thought that's a that looks a really interesting car so we ordered one at that point I was at the same show and I keep saying this to anyone who, who mentions the Alpine I've, I've not driven one not yeah. been in one but I saw all the Renault Sport engineers were there on the, the first public mm-hmm. Saturday when I normally go. And there were lots and lots of engineers having their pictures taken with all their mates yeah. and all their colleagues around the car. And I thought, yes. they are so proud of that, it cannot be rubbish. I, I, obviously, I can't comment on other Renault products, but I will say that the Alpine, having obviously spent a bit of time with it and going underneath it, is mm-hmm. exceptionally well made. Yeah. I mean, the detail, particularly underneath, just in the way they've done the flat floor and the clips they've used, and it's it's been really well thought out. And uh, no, we were really impressed. And I got to drive it up the hill at Goodwood uh, at the launch, which was quite cool, and, it, and that. And then we, we had one of the first ones um, in the UK, 
I just love it. I think it's a great car. So yeah, that's the sort of thing. We'll we'll do it, and maybe we'll service one a week, or maybe do a couple of upgrades a week, which is what we're doing. It's never going to be a big seller, but it's a nice string to the bow. I like working with good cars. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's fun. So we've got our own Alpine, and I think it's a brilliant car. We took it straight to the Nurburgring when we got it. So it's fantastic. <laughs> Everyone loved it. If you did, yeah, it was, it was a superb car. Ian, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to know more about Litchfield and what you do with GTRs and Alpines and paint protection and yeah. all the other stuff we've talked about, what's the best way for them to find out more? Probably our website to begin with, which is litchfieldmotors.com. We have our own Facebook page, again, Litchfield Motors, and we have our own Twitter and Instagram pages as well, the usual. Obviously, I'll put, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as usual, just as, as we normally do. But Ian, thank you so much for your time. That's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was an awesome chat, Alan. Um, yeah, from, it was great. from all that, what were the key things you took from your chat with him? First of all, it's it was quite noisy in the 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 car storage <laughs> shed of awesomeness, and that one should learn to turn the tannoy off before 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 starting to record a podcast. Next up, we'll add it to the checklist. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next is there can't be many sort of uh, I. I assume multi-million pound um, tuning companies that, that start from an A-level project. Just yeah, that that's that that spark of, of inspiration that made him him change change tack. I could have chatted all day, but I was aware that he had lots of stuff to do and lots of it was a Friday a Friday morning, so there's lots of people appearing to collect things and drop things off, and he's got many loyal customers who who all need a bit of a bit of a chat and a bit of talk time. So yeah, yeah. So you tried something out then that wasn't a gazillion horsepower Godzilla yes no 2000 horsepower GTRs for me <laughs> nor the 900 horsepower one by the way that was sitting just outside the office door as you did so no I took the Alpine A110 out okay um, so what, what have they done to that well uh, not a lot to be perfectly honest uh, they've chipped it Okay. Uh, in that they've uploaded a, a new map, they've revised the map on their, their rolling road. So as standard, I oh know they have added 47 brake horsepower, mm-hmm. uh, and they have added 54 foot-pounds of torque, taking it to 300 metric horses, or 296 imperials, um, and 290 pound-foot of torque in it. And, and that's really all they've done. That's But, but to be fair... To be fair, it's not like anyone said this is a slouch beforehand. No, but as you said, it was exactly the kind of car that appeals to him. So it was light. It was it was interesting. It and just, no one's done it yet. And no one's done it yet. Basically, now, that's pretty much it. No one's done it. Therefore, why don't we try? So, so he's starting with the the base car, which is pretty much universally praised in how it's an excellent sports car offers comfort does things that it seems many cars or design or engineering teams have been prevented from doing such as allowing bodies to roll and things like that yes of course the the standard a110 Indeed, this one runs 1.8 litre turbo petrol engine, a seven speed paddle shift gearbox in there. And the standard car will do 0 to 62 in four and a half seconds and is limited to 155 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, it's no slouch to begin with, but this just adds a little bit of spice to it. Yeah. Yeah. Dials it up to, to sort of 11, so to speak. 
but the the car I drove was based on the Premier Edition, so I can't remember if it was in the interview or if he said it to me afterwards when we were just yakking. Was was like, well, I love the look of this car. I I need one of these. Um, <laughs> so it's one of the first of the Premier Editions to get into the the country that I that I drove. Of course, all Alpine A110s have uh, aluminium body and and chassis and tub and everything. And of course, it's it's mid-engined, mm-hmm. uh, so mid-engined rear wheel drive. It's fully paddle shift, uh, so it, it's actually a bit like uh, it's one of those cars where you you push the button like a Ferrari, you know, uh, where you push the button to 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 you know drive neutral or reverse are the only buttons you've got there. Oh, okay, um, and then uh, you can by randomly pulling on the paddles. Now, by pulling on the paddles in different ways, you can either activate manual or you can you can return it to an auto mode as well, which is it's not super smooth, but it's good enough for I can't be bothered type oh, okay. yeah, yeah. around town and stuff. So, so it worked. worked so, the, have they made any changes externally to it? No, no, absolutely. So, so, it, so it purely is just uh, a remap of the engine. On this uh, one, it's pure map. So, just to give you an idea of prices, because we normally do these up front, it is the standard car would set you back if you can get your grubby mitts on one fifty one thousand eight hundred and five pounds. Remember, this Premier okay. Edition has got. All the toys, uh-huh. and then it's another eleven hundred and ninety-four pounds for their for their forty-seven brake and fifty-four pound for. That seems quite a reasonable price considering what they're doing to it. Yeah, yeah, it is. They've got no. How, other, sorry, just to, just to ask the question, but how long does it take for them to do that? Is it like a morning or something? It's a morning. Yeah, yeah. Th- that, by the way, price is is fitted done. Oh, okay, all in. As you've been in. along there, it's been on, it's been mapped and, and done. All right. Thinking about doing some other bits. So this was a pre-WLT, I don't know, pre-WLTP car. It's a very early car. Ian was saying to me that newer ones have an extra sort of bit of baffle in the Y-pipe of the exhaust. And so they may well offer one which is a, which can be fitted to newer, newer cars, which will then remove that slight, that slight impediment to, to clean an easy airflow. Okay. That's on the cards. Other than that, not really sure yet. It'll drive it a bit more and see what it feels like, which works. Okay. So, so what was it like then? Well, you got quite a lot of it. I mean, it's, it's always compared to the Boxster, which admittedly I haven't driven, and also to feeling far more lotusy, and that is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it's such a light car. The the power is put down where you need the power put down. It can have softer suspension. It can have. Uh, and as a result of that, it can have uh, ride comfort and all these kind of things. So it was one of these cars that could um, could teleport you along quite quickly. Uh, and especially when you consider that the, the standard 0 to 60 is is four and a half. What's what's the new? What's, I don't know. Did, oh, right, okay. Quicker. It's not being completely figured, but I would imagine it's a little bit quicker. Yes. <laughs> um, and let's face it, you wouldn't really want to go higher than the 100 if it's if it's been engineered, you know, brake wise and tire wise and everything for 155, then you wouldn't really go much quicker than that. And one would imagine. No. But it makes a fantastic sound. Yeah. You also really wouldn't want to change the exhaust because <laughs> it makes it's quiet enough that it's quite, you know, when you're just sitting. Because I got a, a good sort of, study, I must have 20, 30 miles in it, mm-hmm. which is pretty good going, by the way. Uh, many of you will have read full review road tests based on significantly less than that. <laughs> I think anything that's come out just after an SMMT day, so anything that comes out 
mid-May into June of something impressive sounding, then I, I would... Shh, shh, don't, let, like, don't let our secrets out for the SMMT special. No, I'm just, <laughs> the SMMT is a taste today, a smorgasbord. It's like going and being offered little 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 nibbles of things without actually being able to you know eat a full meal of it in my mind. Anyway, we're way <laughs> off topic. Thank you for that, Andrew. So yeah, so I, I, but it was a nice mix because there were there were a couple of towns to go through, or the centre of Tewkesbury, for example, and so flowing open roads and a little bit of uh, thanks to a unique and special way that they had actually shut most of the roads in the area that day. Uh, there was a, a chunk of a nice chunk of motorway as well. So it was it wasn't a very long route, but it gave a little bit of everything, which was which was great. What's it What's it like considering it's a, a performance car? What's it like just doing? normal driving it was fine because of course you just leave it in auto can't you Mm. it is one of these cars with with many modes and it wasn't antisocial say at slow speeds to to whom was it antisocial well not to you of course not to you because no that's it makes nice pops and bangs as you change as you change down through the gears one of the great things about being flappy paddle is if you're not a driving god uh, as i'm not then it makes you sound like a hero by perfectly rev matching every single tie, which is yes. brilliant, which is really good. For for normal folk like me, that's wonderful. I'm sure that road tested gods will point out that they could do it much better themselves, but I can't. Um, yeah. So so yeah, it was it was brilliant for that. But normal driving, it was civilized. The, the gearbox wasn't the smoothest, but neither, on the other hand, was it like a smart, you know. Okay. <laughs> you weren't sitting there you. like oh, yeah. <laughs> to every time you change your gear. Um, it was it's always around <laughs> the gearbox is nothing like a smart. But actually, quite a lot of it, now that you I've mentioned that, and I hadn't thought of this before, quite a lot of it was was a slightly bigger smart roadster. So if you're ever lucky enough to drive a smart roadster, smart roadster coupe, then there's quite a lot of the similarity there in that, you know, using the paddles and all these things. But the gears, you know, react when you pull the paddle, it changes. Mm-hmm. So the manual and, mode is very slick and Manual mode's slick and lovely, and I played with it for a little. I did what you do with manual modes. I sat and I played with it for a bit, and I, I made it hold the revs right through, and, and I giggled as it went blah, blah, up and down, <laughs> and popped on the way down. Uh, and then about halfway around, I, sh- I, I, I worked out how to put it back into auto mode again. I was quite happy there. It's quite nice the way you change between uh, between your sort of comfort and or comfort. It's called normal comfort in that one and sport and there was a track mode i didn't one does not play with the track mode on public roads no nope, you want to do that on a track that is a motoring podcast policy it's it's the giveaway it, the name as far as i'm concerned well yes and for others that try and choose to do it differently you can read an article in esquire about a mclaren going down a hill so mental we do not way. we do not go that way <laughs> no mental, mental health it was Yes, but one tries not to do that with breast cars. As I say, it's not big, it's not clever. Uh, but it's really cool. The, 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 let me talk a little bit about the cockpit, actually, because it's, 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 a, it's tied into the modes. It's absolutely not Spartan like a Lotus. It is more, it's significantly more upmarket. There's no exposed, there's no, no particular feel that there should be a, a, lots of exposed stuff in there. Mm. It doesn't actually have a, a, a proper grown-up cabin. So there's a, there is an interior. <laughs> there is an interior, absolutely an interior. Lovely, comfy leather sports seats. Well, one of the things, if you want to change the pitch of the sports seat, I mean, it was a fixed back. So the 
the angle between the back and base is fixed in the ones that were in their car, which was, I don't believe they were optional, I think they're standard, uh, but to actually change the pitch or to change the height, then you don't have levers, you don't have an electric adjustment. What you need is an Allen key. Oh, so this is not a car that you share with many people. <laughs> well, you share as long as they don't mind a, a, a similar driving position. So it, it, it's and twenty five it, minutes. <laughs> it doesn't bother me because and twenty five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't bother me because Johnny Vieiras is exactly the same. So yeah, so you, you know, so as far you as you're concerned, it's perfectly normal behaviour. No, I'm big deal. I'm big deal. No beef at all, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Why well, so, are not all cars like this? Right. Yeah, I do that. I feel that other cars have overstuffed seats because the bolsters don't you know, come right away on my thighs. Where was I? Oh, yeah, so the cabin. So it's nice. It's cozy. The steering wheel obviously is straight ahead of you. It's quite small and flicky. It's not, you know, Peugeot small, but it's getting there. It's And straight ahead of you is, is an instrument binnacle with sort of two, two dials. I'm going to say dial spaces on them because – Along with the modes, then it changes, obviously, the display. And depending on how aggressive a mode you choose, then different things get get uh, come to more prominence uh, mm-hmm. in the display. But it was always nice. It was it was nice. It was easy to see. It was easy to read. It was it was great from that point of view. In fact, it was just generally great. The steering wheel is lovely. As I say, it's quite small. Uh, and there's controls for, for um, speed up, speed down, and stuff for your, your cruise control. Mm-hmm. Uh, radio controls on there as well and a couple of buttons for scrolling through different displays yeah uh, on the in, in the binnacle mm-hmm. there's also a big yellow button marked sport uh, and of course by pressing sport you then activate the sport mode or the track mode or, or, or whichever uh, whichever you, you choose but it's really nicely done there's a button down to the bottom right uh, i don't want to say ferrari style but that kind of style Racing uh, steering wheel type. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no twisty manettos or anything like that, but it's nice to have the mode button on there. Yeah, uh, on there, and, and similar. Well, is that not what you really want? If you want to change mode, you want it within thumb's reach. Yes, yes, yes. You do. Um, there's also down in the middle. There's a, a nice yellow start button. Yellow, of course, because it's Renault Sport. Mm-hmm. It's yellow rather than red, so or any other color down there and then it's an electric heart break and then behind it is the most ridiculously placed switch for activating your cruise control that i've ever come across which is somewhere down by your left elbow and once you've activated it it's fine it's as if they went ah oh, hey francois we have forgotten the switch for the cruise control where will we put it <laughs> But René, it is obvious we would put it derriere behind the start button and underneath the driver's elbow. This is, <laughs> this is where I used to put it when I worked at Citroën. Yes. <laughs> I have driven a Saab, uh, the like, thing stands there, it is fine. Yeah. Uh, so that, I've had a CX. <laughs> this, this is absolutely normal. <laughs> so, so, and it's, it's like, okay, so there's the cruise control. So I'm now on the motorway. I now do not want to be driving at ludicrous speeds and getting um, getting a ticket, especially not in not in a car with what is not my own. Um, and then you're like, what's it doing down there? But it's quite cool because actually you can't use, unless you're in comfortable normal mode, you can't use the cruise control. It turns it off if you're in sport mode, which makes a lot of sense, really. Yeah, you. So you then have to. You try and move to sport mode. He goes, no, I can't do it with. Uh, 
He goes, no. <laughs> I will not do that uh, when the... I will not do that when the cruise control is activated. And it's like, oh, sugar, I'm driving. Well, now prod down here to turn the button on. But, uh, but other than that, the cabins are great. I was, the thing is, it's more spacious than an NDMX file. Okay. Oh, there's also a tablet screen thing in the middle, which can show above some really nice toggle switches, which I didn't really play with because I didn't have any need to turn on like the hazards and central locking and these kind of things. Uh, there's a, a decent size, I think it's 8-inch, I don't have it written down, a screen in the middle, which can show you nav or the radio, I guess. So it's nav, entertainment. Oh, one of them and all the... Uh, it can give you far more gauges and things like your boost pressure and your G meter and all this kind of. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. And then setup is the fourth thing. So. so I'm I'm trying to remember from having read previous reviews, it's purely two seater, isn't it? It's not like a two and a little I, bit. Oh, no, 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 it's, it's two seater. Because the engine is right behind you. Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why the, the back of the seat is fixed and the other bits can move. Yeah, that's not really why, to be honest. I think they, there wasn't space and it's weight saving and all that kind of. Okay. Rather than that being reasons, plenty of plenty of purely two seater mid engine cars where they have normal style seat adjustment. In this case, I think it was actually a lack of space further down in the top. Okay. Um, and, and weight saving and all that kind of joy. Brilliant seats, though. It's, it's not a not an issue getting getting comfortable. I, I would have made a, a couple of tiny tweaks, but it was a very good general uh, seating position that was in there. Uh, I would love to tell you all about boot space. And I was going to ask about curry hooks. Box, curry hooks, these kind of things. But frankly, on one hand, I don't care. Uh, but more to oh, the point. Oh, come on. More, You're so more, cruel. But more to the point, uh, I couldn't actually work out how to open them. Oh, dear. This uh, human user error interface error just it being awfully French, I think. Uh, okay. Um, be- I couldn't open the bonnet. I couldn't open the tail. I, I couldn't. I, to be honest, to start off with, I couldn't open the car because it was one of these Renault key car things. And it was, it was a lot of weaving around and prodding buttons. And then I couldn't even open the glove box because you need to do something. There was like a little sort of Wi-Fi symbol, fan mm. symbol on it. And it was like, well, do I swipe it with my thumb? Do I hold the key near it? Do I-, I couldn't work it out, I'm afraid. This is taking up time when I could be on the road. Quite, quite frankly, there was limited time. It was going to rain. I thought, you know what? Nobody's going to care about that. Love driving. It could quite easily have just driven to France. Quite has easy, has this caused you a little bit of an issue for future vehicles? Because it sounds very out. Yes, actually, it sounds very out. Do you know what it reminded me of within the first mile? You remember how a few weeks ago I was waxing lyrical about the the Great Escape app? Mm-hmm. It was a lot like that. That's what it felt like because you've got that lack of weight over the front and that directness of the steering and a lovely sound coming from behind you. My only challenge is that it costs twice as much as the, the 911. But on the other hand, it comes with a comes with a warranty. And even if you take it to Litchfield, they give you a three-year warranty on the engine as well uh, because of the you know because of the remap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have trouble with Renault or with Alpine. Uh, so they offer, uh, they, they warranty their work as well. Yeah, it, it does. It's a lot like, you know, it's like it, it comes in as like a warranted Porsche 996. I was going to say, it, it sounds quite old school in its in its design. Not not the Litchfield bit, but the Alpine bit. 
because they've they've encouraged a factor of comfort. They've they've not got shares in all the chiropractors chiropractor practices of the UK. So <laughs> there is things like the body roll, and it will go over our lovely roads without. You know, spinal damage and things like that and people get out of it having had fun because it's lightweight i mean you should get out of it having fun at 50 grand well, like a like a like a, a boxer or a cayman then it's the next step up from an mx5 mm. power wise and, and it, it does and, and that's what it that's what it felt like really it was like a, a hard top mx5 but more yeah is it 23 grand more i, I don't know uh, but you'll be guaranteed that it's pretty exclusive. It'll be mm. rarer, be rarer than a Porsche. Uh, probably be, one would hope, cheaper to maintain than a Porsche. Um, better running costs, all these kind of things. I, I see why everyone is is singing its praises. Anyway, oh, everybody loves it. Cool. It's just seems I really, really liked it. The, the price is a bit sucked through your teethy. Um, and it's probably a bit rich. Well, it is a bit rich for me unless I was to go down the, the PCP route, which I really don't like. Mm-hmm. So as a result, and I've been, don't don't think I haven't looked on AutoTrader, um, <laughs> but they haven't, they haven't depreciated yet. And the yeah. ones that are on there have only done 1,000 miles maximum. So yeah. uh, I think it's worth waiting and seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, if you think that this is the car for you, then I, I would be out there. Uh, hunting down. Are you saying it's certainly worth trying out if you are in the Cayman Boxster market to at least give yourself something to judge against it? And you never know, you may actually find, you may find you, you prefer this to a Porsche. Yes, I can believe that. Depends how flat you want the engine to sound, really. Right. It's a similar thing. I mean, there's there's less space in this, I think, than there is in a than there is in a, a, a Cayman. But uh, but yeah, I I could look at it, and I love the way it looks. I know you don't. I do. No, I'm I'm not a fan of the looks. I mean, it's not dreadful, but I I think it's just the right amount of retro. Okay. Without being a pastiche, so I love it. But I, I'm a huge francophone. And if I had it, would I then spend the twelve hundred quid at Litchfield? Then yeah, probably to be honest, mm-hmm. because because I'm like that. Yeah, I don't know if it would improve the fuel economy. May well do. That would be my justification. There, right? <laughs> it was not the smiles per miles just be enough. I can't justify it as being a safety board. Therefore, it's <laughs> <laughs> the way it goes. I think that's it, really. Yep, I think you've given me a verdict. You've definitely given a verdict. Fab, how do people find that interesting? This is a, a little bit of a prototype for, for a few more. I'd like to do a few more things like this. Yeah, this is uh, something we are looking to explore more and more, is to go and visit places and chat to the people that are there to to get a feel of what happens behind the closed doors that we usually you've don't get to see. You've just made it way more dramatic than I was going to. Uh, all I was going to say was, if you enjoyed this, and want more of this kind of thing, then do let me know. Yes, please do. Uh, uh, so that that would be great. So yes, uh, I've got a few places I would like I would like to go as well. Which I'll, I'll yes. ask, but I'll, I want your feedback as well, please, folks, because I do value it. Yep. All that's really left before we do the the roundup uh, and the normal ending is just to quickly say thanks. 
So thank you to Ian, Jenny, Neil, and all the team at Litchfield for putting up with this, this sort of uh, weird stuttery bloke wandering around and um, going, hello. <laughs> I've got a microphone. Talk to me. Thanks, of course, to Television Sport Carolyn for arranging this. Much appreciated, mate. Uh, and if you if you watch him on TV and you wonder if he, he is that enthusiastic all the time or if it's just on show for TV, he is that enthusiastic all the time. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. He is wonderful. And he makes a decent cup of coffee eventually. Yeah. Oh, well, he's pretty good at his place. Yeah, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got distracted by about a thousand things because there were a whole bunch of things. Well, come on. It sounds like there's a lot to be distracted by in that place. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great. It was, it was a cracking day. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully some of that has come across. Anyhow, don't forget, folks, between now and the next time you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts uh, with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, if people want to tell you that actually the Alpine A110 is a fantastic looking car and that you have no clue what you're talking about when it comes to aesthetics, what's the best way to do that? You can certainly try by getting in touch with me via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you'll find me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you and say, Alan, our roving reporter, we want more of this, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter again, either via the at Motoring Podcast handle or directed me uh, at at A-J-P Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back before very long, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.